0: Fisher in the Alamac Manta just cannot shake off his great rival, and his lead could evaporate with a simple puncture. With this kind of pressure from behind, Bertie is really trying. Sydney Meek prepared car has run faultlessly and with Fisher's bogey stage fanet now finally behind him, his first stunning all victory is looking more possible by the mile.
1: And Gears. Season two, episode one, part three. This is the third and final part of our tribute to Bertie Fisher. In this episode I speak with Rory Kennedy, Alistair Fisher and first of all Dave Campion. Dave at the time worked at ProDrive and he tells us about his, how the relationship developed between Bertie and himself. It's a fascinating sto- story. I started off by asking Dave How you first got in Uber?
2: He approached us about the sale of an M3. Mm -hmm. We uh, were delighted to think about sending M3s to Ireland or anywhere else in the world. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And we, we managed to do a deal on the basis that he didn't want it left hand drive, he wanted it right hand drive. Okay. So we looked into it and we thought, yeah, that can be done. Mm-hmm. Then we looked into the regulations to make sure that it could be done legally.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, that was okay. So we built two cars eventually, one for Bertie and one for Austin McHale. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get bad vibes from across the water okay. when the cars were entered for the Circuit of
1: Ireland.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't going to be allowed to start because the cars were illegal. Okay. And I tracked, it, tracked the rumours down. They were coming from the scrutineering area. So I thought, okay. So I decided to go to the event a few days early. Turned up, got hold of the clerk, of course, can't remember who it was at the time, and said, are these cars going to be allowed to start on this legality issue or not? Oh, a start, we'll sort it out at the finish. And I said, well, not really, because if somebody's going to turn around to me at the end and say these cars are illegal, I wouldn't consider that to be A sporting gesture, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. I said, look, get off the fence. Make up your mind. Are these cars, as far as your scrutineering team is concerned, legal or illegal? We've got two cars here open to any inspection. Well, they're not, says scrutineer. Mm -hmm. So I asked him to check, paragraph this, page that. Mm -hmm. And I said, can you tell me they don't comply? Well, they don't manufacture an M3 right-hand drive. I said, that's very true. They don't. But they don't have to be manufactured right-hand drive. The regulations say we can flip them
1: Mm
2: -hmm. as long as we use genuine BMW parts to do it. And we have. Uh, Well, we're not sure. I said, well. I'm going to suggest to my two customers that they get an assurance from you that you will pass them as legal when they win the rally. (laughs) I was then being more than a bit pompous and a bit. And I said, and if you want to challenge the legality, will you please do it now? Because I've got a lawyer sat. In the uh, UK, who can be here within an hour or so, I can get him shipped over by helicopter and we can thrash it out.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You tell me they're not legal, we won't start. Okay. We started.
1: <laughs> and yes.
2: Things moved on from there, but um, Bertie was reassured. As was Austin, They're two totally different characters. Mm-hmm. Bertie went about it like a businessman. Austin went about it emotionally. Okay, but yeah. we came to the same conclusion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We went, we did, we did whatever we needed to do, and we were fine. Yeah, and that was yeah. my first introduction to Bertie in a tight spot, if you like, mm-hmm. but he wanted to do the deal. He dealt dealt with it like a proper businessman. What can I have? What will I get? What will it cost? Yes or no, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Set the tone for the rest of our relationship from a business point of view.
1: Yeah, and, and were you aware of Bertie before this? Like, obviously, you know, with your previous positions and that you'd been in Ireland before, had you? So...
2: I'd been in, everybody knew Bertie because he was one of the top line boys in Ireland. And it's like, I'm aware that most of the time uh, in my times, he was run with Sydney um, and we, we, um, we knew each other as competitors but no more i i hadn't gone out to seek bertie or anybody else for that matter Mm -hmm. but uh was obviously more than happy to receive them when they approached us
1: yeah the, the m3 At that time, you know, was the car to have an Irish Tower, like between Bertie and Austin? They won a good, good few events, and you know, and the car is still iconic to this day. You know, people still love (laughs) that that noise, don't they? You know,
2: well, that noise is responsible for my tinnitus and bad hearing. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yes. I mean, they are, they're an iconic car. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, what can you say, M3's an M3. Yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a classic, it's a classic, classic motor car, really. Yeah. And yeah. then,
1: then Bertie went away from a year, but you come back again then with the, the promise of a legacy. Again, an another groundbreaking car too, from come along at the start, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, a couple of people approached us about, legacies and uh, Bertie asked if he could have one I said yep. Yeah. Um, in truth the first person to have one was um, Kenny McKinstry.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He was the first one to put his money down mm-hmm. but we did a deal for a legacy um, at the time, we then got a customer division almost
1: okay.
2: where we took rally cars from the rally team, world rally team, mm-hmm. Luckstock and barrel. And then we, we rebuilt them into as new cars. Right. Not necessarily with all new parts,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: all everything about the whole car was rebuilt from the ground up. And we used to strip the cars, rejig the bodies, strip them off, paint them, blah, blah, blah. And they were like a new car. You, It was difficult to recognize them as not being a new car as you walk around them. Yes. and uh, But that time, we made a better job of sorting the suspension out initially with the Legacies, Mm -hmm. a much better job than we did with the M3. The first trip out in an M3 in Ireland was a bloody bloody disaster. But (laughs) We we got over it. We sorted ourselves out. Legacy was pretty good. We, yeah, and the Legacy went well, and... Yeah, uh, as is obvious, we, we sold a few over there mm-hmm. in in a relatively short space of time. But, yeah, again, it, Bertie's tactics with me, uh, he'd ring up, can I come and see you? Yeah. What's available? What can I have? You'd tell him, okay, upgrades as they become available, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And if you like, a lot of people respected Bertie, Mm -hmm. both as a person, as a businessman, as a rally driver. And I was beginning to get a very comfortable feeling with him
4: Mm -hmm.
2: that, okay, we can do this, we can do that. He was very loyal. He said, can you service it? And at that time, we could, but I was... Bit reluctant to. I didn't want to stretch myself or the company too far.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He said, I said, why do you ask? He said, Well, I want to keep a relationship with Sydney Meek. Sydney supported me, looked after me for many years. I'd like him to be involved on the ground. I said, Well, I don't have a problem with that. I've got a lot of respect for Sydney Make. I know. Mm-hmm quite a few of the boys that work for him. And yeah, I don't have a problem with that. He said, but we need your engineer. I said, that's fine. And that was just the mark of the man. Mm -hmm. Everybody else took the cars away. Yes. We'll run. Okay. Rally people, race people, they're all the same. They all think they can do better than you. The fact that we've invested millions in these bloody cars. Yes. We can do better. Fine. Mm-hmm. I don't have a big issue with that. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh we can do it. I've got the full backing of all the engineers that designed, developed, ran the cars. And you know, this is part of my sales spiel, if that's what you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Bertie understood that quite quickly. And he said, OK, so we'll use one of your engineers. And yeah, fine. And because he was successful and because people saw us with some of our people on the ground, they thought it was getting special treatment. And he wasn't. It was part of the deal. Yes,
1: that's, this uh, is that's, what, that was the deal he wanted. Mm-hmm.
2: This is what it's going to cost you, Mr. Fisher. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mr. Campion, that's a bit expensive. What do I knock off to make it less expensive? It mm-hmm. wasn't a matter of will you keep delivering that and yeah. knock the price down. Yeah. He understood that I was trying to do a very keen deal Mm -hmm. because by that time, it was good business for us. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it went on. And a lot of people said, well, of course, Bertie gets upgrades before anybody else gets them. That's not true. Never was true. Right up until the very last car we ran with Bertie, Mm -hmm. whatever Bertie had, if somebody had walked through the door, two seconds before or two seconds after, they could have had the same deal. Yes. Um, He was was paying good money for a good service, Mm -hmm. but that's me talking.
1: Yeah.
2: If he was around, it would be up to him to say.
1: Yeah, but (laughs) that was was successful. You you can't argue with the Yeah. 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 So Mm -hmm.
2: what can you say? It
1: worked. Yeah. And like you know, we think now like the we started off with the legacies into the presses, and like right up through all the world rally cars, the amount of Subaru yeah. World Rally cars and Subaru Rally cars that come to Ireland, and were you know yeah. won in rallies like Bertie and was one of the initial building blocks of that success really, isn't he? Right, well, he certainly was, and you know he um,
2: he was the first to get on the pro-drive bandwagon, if you like. Mm -hmm. And he did leave us once um, because he came, asked me for a deal to do this, this, and this. Gave it to him. He said, it's too expensive. I can't justify spending that sort of money. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. What do you want to knock off? He says, I'm not prepared to knock anything off, but I understand where you stand. I understand where you stood, he said. And he went off to RED and ran a Ford. Oh,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a while.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't lose contact. Um, if we were around, we'd always speak. But mm-hmm. he just rang me one day and he said, uh, Can I come and see you? I said, Yeah. He said, um, Not happy with the Ford. Can't get on with it. Um, Can you do me Subaru again? And I said, probably. (laughs) And we threatened to deal out. And he finished with the Ford and he came back to us. But there was absolutely no side issues with that
1: at
2: all. I didn't operate any different. He didn't operate any different. Yes. Can I do this? Yes. Can I do that? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we thrashed it out. And then, of course, we, um, as we moved into impressors, this is the only time that uni- that Bertie did something unique. Mm -hmm. He wanted one of the last Group A Impressors. The amalgamation on the last Group A Impressors was fairly comprehensive, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Some of it was brilliant. Some of it was not so brilliant in that it was difficult to keep it all on song.
4: Okay.
1: We
2: were getting to world rally cars,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and world rally cars are difficult without the right inputs to keep 100% on song. Okay. So we had a big meeting about what could and couldn't be done
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in terms of what spec of car we could deliver in terms of what was homologated? what did we need for Ireland, what we didn't need for Ireland. And some of our technical guys were part and parcel to that meeting. We broke that meeting up. Bertie went away. I went away. As he would put it, you better go away with a sharp pencil and see what you can come up
0: with.
2: <laughs> so we came up with a specker car, and then we had to build it to that spec to take advantage of some of the good things.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. But because it was to the correct spec, some things on it never got used. Okay, And did a deal with him. And this is where he was unique. He is the only person. And it was partly due to the opportunity at the time. He was the only person we ever built a brand-new car for. Right. It was built on a brand-new shell. Uh-huh. The factory team was just going off uh, Group A onto World rally car, mm-hmm. so we had a spare shell, and we had a spare this, and we had a spare that. And I had a good – because, of course, it was good business for ProDrive. I had to look around, and I thought, bloody hell if we're not careful, we could end up building a new car here. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was good business for us because it got rid of a load of stuff that we, as a company, were never going to use again. Yes. Yes. Know, we could have sold it for sure. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I thought, well, we might as well put it all in one spot and sell it as a big bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, that was a very successful car. Mm-hmm. But it it deserved to be. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a really, nearly nice motor. Yeah. But, of course, for this time, uh, I'd got quite a relationship going with Bertie, I guess, mm-hmm. and his family. And at the time, in that period, I am lousy with dates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have difficulty remembering my own birthday, and that's this week. <laughs> But he, uh, he spent a lot of time in the UK and he had got business in London and elsewhere. And he'd often ring me up and I knew he was in the car. And he'd say, what are you doing this evening? I said, not a lot. How do you fancy going out to the pub for a bite to eat? Oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. That was a euphemism for... Have you got a spare bed for the night? <laughs> <laughs> my lady is a very, very sociable lady.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And she enjoys rally people. Yes. And of course, he used to spend more than the odd night at <laughs> my house. Yes. And that's where we te- more or less decided it was a... Thing between us that if we did business, it was in my office, okay. Then we'd okay. go home for supper, right? Ultimately, right. my wife and I, Georgie, and I used to go to Ireland, yes. And yes. If we needed to talk business, we used to go into his office in Ballyn right? Not right. even his study at home, no, we used to go into the office, mm-hmm. and that was a sort of a rule we made with one another. Yes. And it worked brilliantly. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, there was nobody else that we would have um, had that sort of arrangement with Mm -hmm. because uh, the two families got on quite well together. Uh, Obviously, we used to have a really... Well, we spent Millennium Night in Northern Ireland,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and had a few parties over there, and we used to have a few long weekends there, and yeah, it, it was a very, yeah, it was a very sociable, mm-hmm. a relationship that meant a lot to Georgie and I,
1: yeah.
2: not only Bertie, but Gladys, mm-hmm. Mark, Emma, Roy, all of them, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, uh, it's a sad situation in which we now find ourselves.
1: Yeah, and like your kids were sort of right about the same age as Bertie's kids and that too, so there was, there was a bond there Yeah. Too, so. Yeah,
2: there was. I mean, Georgie and Gladys used to do motorhomes for Bertie.
1: Brilliant.
2: Uh, in Ireland, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it it was a relationship that worked extremely well.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, uh, Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, good memories, very good memories.
1: So, you look back now, and you're, you know, you think of Bertie Fisher, the rally driver, and then Bertie Fisher, the man. What is the, the standout memories?
2: I think back, And the first thing I think of is Bertie Fisher, the man. Mm -hmm. To me, Bertie Fisher, the rally driver, is secondary. Okay. I've never met, I've only met one person that comes close to being the sort of man that he was. He... He never swayed from his basic values, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I have been in his office, I've been around him when he has been working. Mm-hmm. Um, Sort of waiting for him, waiting for him, and you can't help but pick up some of the vibrations that go mm-hmm. on around him. He's also was also unique that he knew how to go out and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Irish after rally parties are. <laughs> Known around yes. the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Georgie managed to learn, as she calls it, the real world words to a lot of songs, which she never understood before. <laughs> One of them had something to do with Alice, I believe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she, uh, she used to enjoy it every bit as much as me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that—that that was the man, mm-hmm. and the rally driver. Very competitive. Very hard. Uh, no stone left unturned. But always on the right side of the regulations. Yes. The right side of what was the correct thing to do, etc. etc. He only ever asked me for one favor, which, as luck would have it, killed about three birds with one stone. <laughs> do you remember the Millennium Rally he organized? Yes, uh
1: uh-huh. Yeah. In yeah. whoever's quarry. Uh, Quan's quarry, yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. He said, um,
2: "Basically, it was a charity event." Mm-hmm. He said, "And I need an, I need a name in a world rally car."
1: Okay, what
2: can you do for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know, but I'll try. And as as luck would have it, I'd been in the company of Anu Mikula. Yes, and. We were both testing at the same place in Oxfordshire. Um, and he said, uh, can I try your Group N car? I said, of course you can. Go and have a blast round, in it. He came back. He said, that's quite impressive. I've not driven a Group N car before, but quite impressive. I said, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He was there driving one of David Sutton's escorts. All right, yeah. So he said... If ever I've got the chance, I'd love to try World Rally Car. I said, (laughs) well. Annoy used to be one of my early boyhood heroes. Yes. So I said, Hanno, if I can find one for you to drive, great. Uh And Bertie asked me this question, and all of a sudden I was aware that I would be. At a place of being invited to a function which I knew Hannah would be at. Yes. So rang him and said, You said to me once you'd like to drive a World Rally car. He said, Yeah. I said, How do you fancy to go into Ireland to drive the <laughs> World Rally car? I
0: mm-hmm.
2: oh, don't know. So I explained. Bertie wanted. A name and a car. Uh-huh. I happen to have a car. It's it's, it's about all the stars aligning, yes. if you like. Uh-huh. I happen to have a car in the workshop, which was just about to be stripped out for rebuild for us to sell. Okay. It had about, I don't know, 300 kilometers left on it, transmission, engine, etc. And I said to our boys, I said, could you refresh that enough for it to go to Ireland and do a short rally? Yeah, I suppose so. So I said, right, if I told you we were going to put Mr. Mickler in it just for a bit of fun, we could definitely do it. Mm-hmm. So we begged, borrowed, scrounged, a whole load of cake. And I rang Bertie up and I said, right, we can do this. Hannu Mikla. Oh, my God. <laughs> in a word like oh, my God, what's this going to cost me? And I said, well, if you're really lucky, hotel room and a boat fair. And he says, you're blankety-blank joking. Yes. <laughs> I
1: said,
2: I said very few times in your life that all these things come together at the right time for the right reason. Uh And, of course, we went, and I don't think David Richards knows to this day that we did that sort of a deal. Never done it before, never done it since. Uh Never had the opportunity to do it before or since. It cost us a large amount of nothing. Uh-huh. We got insurance on the car. Bertie might well have paid that, but if he did, that was about all. It did fishers a lot of good. Uh-huh. It did co a lot of good. Yeah. Had a nice time. His only condition, thinking about it, his only condition was that he could pick the co-driver. Okay. So, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Who are you going to pick? My son. I said, has he got a license? He said, he will have. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, That's all right by me. Yeah. And so Bertie and son arrived. Uh-huh. They, he was starting off very low key and casual. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, can we do a recce? I said, I think so. I'll see if Bertie's got a car you can borrow. Bloody hell. By the end of the day, it had gone from being very casual to very, very professional uh-huh. and issuing instructions to son about paste notes. And, oh, my God. So I thought, what have I let myself in for yeah. here? <laughs> it worked very well. It worked extremely well. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's fine. And, you know. A couple of the boys said to me, how did you pull that off? I said, I said, I didn't really. I said, it just sort of happened.
1: Yeah, just no good things that happened. Mm -hmm. And it is nice to be able to
2: do things when you can. I mean, Uh Bertie by that time had spent an awful lot of money with us. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to give him a little bit of payback, of course. But, But, I mean, there's other things happened that, gave me some quiet pleasure if you like Mm -hmm. I mean when we had Bertie and Mark both doing the RAC yes and he rang up he said can you give me a price for running Mark on the RAC I said yeah so I gave him a price he said yeah okay we'll do it and then a couple of days later I had another situation where I had a car (sighs) getting ready for rebuilds for sale. I rang him up and I said, right, this is a deal for you. You do the RAC in a team with Mark, can't afford it. I said, you'll be able to afford this deal because it's like what no other you'll ever get from me. (laughs) He said, well, you will do it. I said, well, A, it'll make me money. So it'll be very nice to see father and son out yes. on the same event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm telling you that you've got to afford it. <laughs> I mean, the relationship was very strong for them, and um, as we all know, we went and did it. Yeah, um, which I'm very pleased that they did.
1: Yeah, especially
2: but, the way cool. things turned
1: out. It was lovely to have for them, wasn't it? You know. It's a...
2: I mean, I'm a boring old fat now. Um, I'm old
1: enough to
2: been around the block a few times. And people often ask me, you know, what about, how about doing deals for this now, about making business for that? I said, well, I'll hold you up a gentleman who knows how to do business properly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I wouldn't say who it was, but it was Mr. Fisher.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And they said, but, uh, well, you can't resist doing the deal. I said, no, you work out what you want to buy or what you want to sell. You do the keenest possible price to make sure you can sell it, but you don't give it away and you ensure you're making a profit. Mm-hmm. Equally, if you're buying, decide what you want, decide what you're prepared to pay, and if the two don't fit, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether you're dealing in rally cars,
1: yeah.
2: in steel frame buildings, selling mm-hmm. fish, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was perfect at that. But he was generous.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I know he used to look after people. But nobody else knew.
1: No, it was just done and there was no talk about it, no mention of it. It was just done and that was it, wasn't it? Mm
2: -hmm. He would go and do
1: it. Yeah. Done. Yeah. He was very passionate
2: about being a... He's very passionate about being an Irishman,
1: Mm -hmm. he
2: was very proud of his business. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he and Ernie were the ones that turned it into what it was. Um, Very proud family man. Um, I'm not trying to make him sound perfect. But he was a very, very special man. Well,
1: Dave, I think there's as nice a place to leave it, as any. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us.
2: Not at all, not at all. Pleasure. Very pleased to have done
1: it.
4: Is it true you've got a bit of a power advantage over Kenny in this time? No, not really. Kenny might want to think that all right. But uh, we have basically got a different exhaust system, which um, is um, straight through to the back of the car rather than coming out the side. We used to have a lot of problems with fumes inside the car, uh, from the side exhaust, so we have a straight-through exhaust system, and uh, we're also trying a different uh, chip in the management system. But um, it's hard, you know, I don't think it's any more, certainly no more horsepower anyway. Bertie's nephew, Alistair Fisher, joined us now in this segment, and I started off by asking,
1: Alistair, what these early memories of Bertie were?
3: Um, I suppose, really, it's just... You know, from sort of you know, growing up. Um, obviously when the accident happened, I was was only twelve years of age. So, you know, so growing up, it was just sort of the family occasions and um, you know, seeing them at at the weekends. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe at, at a granding, grand and Granny Fisher's house. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of the get-togethers over the years. You know, probably seeing you know, Uncle Bertie and, and Mark and the you know, in the office down at Fisher Engineering. Just mm-hmm. maybe when I've right a bit in, there after school or whatever, you know, during the week or course, yeah. or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And yes. um, I suppose you know going to the, the events over the years with with dad. It I wouldn't probably remember the early nineties. Early it would have been more so the, you know, the the late nineties, mm-hmm. and uh, probably the, the blue and Prats would probably be my first real memory. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. real memory L five five five, and then mm-hmm. onto the onto the Silver Tuff Maciar. Mm-hmm. So, um, you probably I would I would recall Mark in the in the Tough Mac Evo as well. Yes. Mhm. You know, that's, and uh, the, the and we, memories, really. Yeah, and
1: like
3: you know, you were saying there, you ended up. They just go too many events to these travel lengths and runs of the company. Like... I can remember, you know, sort of going to the going to the Lake of the Circle of Ireland or the you know, the Ulster Rally. I can I can recall. Mm-hmm. You know, I was spectating on the Ulster Rally on some of the night stages. You know, the Ulster Rally probably would have came quite close in them days. Probably down to, you know, Oher, five mile town sort of direction. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I do remember being you know, at the at the finish ramp for the Circuit of Ireland a few years. I recall the one in the, the Silver Tuff Mac yard where Uncle Bertie won the event.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And you know, I think it was ninety nine. We uh, I remember going down to the Galway Rally. It was sort of a typical Galway that I know now. It was wet and wet and murky. Uh-huh. I, can, I can remember you know, coming up the road with with Dad in the car, and there was a few other two other guys, and um, one of them was was Ian Cochran, who who still works for the business, and uh, we were just hearing the rally report on the radio as we came came up the road. Mm-hmm. So, um, sort of the, the yes. memories that stand out really. Mm-hmm. And, and
4: and Rory won that weekend as well
1: too,
3: didn't he? So. Yeah, I think and you're also. right. I think uh-huh. I think that is.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: So yourself, actually, you know, you were growing up, was it always rallying or did you want to play for Liverpool or United? I have to say, I was never really, I didn't really set out to, you know, to start driving. Um, I would have played rugby at school and and a a bit of football. I was probably better at at the rugby. Uh Um, And then sort of turned, whatever it was, 16 or so when we started doing the Van at Nuts Corner, oh, yeah. and uh, I think when I, it, uh, I sort of didn't get as many, I sort of I didn't get as many starts in the rugby team then because it sort of was away uh, way at Knots Corner on a Saturday <laughs> the Saturday, and that was the end of the rugby So, you know, from I'm um, from there. You know, Dad Dad sat with me at Nuts Corner at the start. Um, mm. We were right in Anova and you know, even at that point in time, it was never a massive focus, but. Mm-hmm. I suppose turn turn seventeen, got the license, and hey, uh, we built a we built a course, and really, I suppose the results were were pretty good in the in mm-hmm. the class, and it sort of snowballed from there, really. Yes. So it did.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you feel the pressure of carrying the Fisher name at the start, or was it something
3: that you were aware of, really? I felt probably the first the first year in the course, really, in the in the Northern Ireland Championship, it was. You know, it was very much new to me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really probably feel under pressure then, but once we sort of jumped to the one-make championship in the Fiesta STs, mm-hmm. you know, for the following couple of seasons, you know, the, the level sort of increased, and you know, I was head to head with you know, a lot of other sort of young and up and coming drivers that were starting out, and I suppose it was then that I probably started to put some pressure on myself to get results, and you know, thankfully mm-hmm. the the Kim quite naturally without really having to sort of overthink things and mm-hmm. um, you know, but look, there was always undoubtedly pressure, you know, to perform and, and uh, you know, try and be at the front but it, uh, it seemed to work out okay over the years.
1: Mm-hmm. And you may not the best person to answer this but, you know, like Bertie and Mark always seem to have that, you know, very strong mental attitude and very methodical, you know, work through and you know, get everyone, you know, all your preparation done before you get to the You seem to be very much of that as well. Is that something that you feel you've heard it from the Fisher uh, suppose, way of doing things?
3: Okay, yeah, you know, I feel you, know, you have to prepare and you know, I would, I would put a lot of work into my PS notes, you know, mm-hmm. on the weekend off an event and, you know, leading up to it. Uh, you know, Gordon would Gordon and I would go out and you know, pick a back road somewhere, and you know maybe one or two weeks before before the event, and just go out and practice the notes, and you know get your head into gear again. Um, you know, back in the World Championship days, you know, took fitness very seriously, and mm-hmm. you know preparing, been eating well leading up to the event, and so on. Um, and there's there's a lot of things that you know Uncle Mark and Uncle Bertie would have put in place over the years mm-hmm. in the business. You can still see it. You know, coming through, and, and people that are in the business today, how they approach things, and you know, there, there's, there's, uh, you know, schedules and, you know, the, the sort of the, the things Uncle Bertie would have put in place would, would still be in play, really, you know, today.
4: Mhm.
3: Yeah, because I, I think Rory said the other night, like Bertie was the kind of man he went into
1: Fisher engineer. He knew everybody's name from the, 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 highest down to the guy that was, you know, the, you know, the boy that was driving the forklift or whatever. He knew them personally the name. And they were comfortable enough to you
3: know, call him Bertie and whatever. There was no, there was no or graces. Everybody uh, worked yeah. together. Yeah, that's it. I think um, you know it was always sort of that that personal touch. And you know, uh, as you, as you say, everybody knew Uncle Bertie and and Uncle Bertie and knew you all the guys in the workshop floor. And uh, you know that sort of it just created that sort of strong working relationship. And you know the the guys would always go the extra mile. Uncle Bertie, and he knew you could rely on them, and you know, that shone through. And the work they produced, and you know, all the, the contracts you know that they won over the years and delivered.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so
3: like then, you know, you go to rallies, and it'll still happening, as people still come up to you and talk about Bertie and Mark, and all do you still hear all the stories? I could certainly do. You know, we've we done the, the world championship stuff, and it would just it would amaze you, you know, people coming up and you know, sort of European fans or spectators and you know, asking the question mm-hmm. um, you know are you related to Bertie Fisher or whatever mm-hmm. and again you know whenever, whenever you, we'd have been doing the, the British Championship events and you know down in Cork and Clarney, he was very very popular you know there's mm-hmm. always always people down there mentioning him and mm-hmm. it, was, it was great to see that and um, it was it's nice to, to be able to talk about them and people you know hold, still hold them in such high regard
1: yeah, like 20 years later, you know, he's still held in
3: such high regard. You know, he's still a, a hero of the sport. That's it. You know, there's, there's probably barely a day goes by that you know, somebody doesn't, um, you know, maybe post something on social media or, you know, the sort of put up a memory or share a photograph. And uh, it was really nice to see mm-hmm. um, that sort of the 80s and 90s, whenever Uncle Bertie was coming up through, really they were they were the sort of golden years of rallying,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, through the, the Mark IIs and into the Mantas and the B.M.s and the, the, the Subarus,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, they were iconic cars and I think yeah. that sort of sits with people and people remember them days, you know, very yeah. strongly.
1: I, you, know, the, you know, you think of the B.M., you think of Bertie Fisher, you think of the the, the, the Subaru, the legacy, the first name that pops into your head is Bertie Fisher, isn't it really? you
3: know, so. No, that's it, and you know, I think, um, nothing you know for me and I will ever replace the you know the sound of the the group A and practice on the stages, and yeah. I think that's the mm-hmm. case for a lot of people, really. Yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. So, we skip forward then, you know, to the goal rally in 2020, as we say, this year, last year, and uh, your first out right won the top round of the Taramite Championship, and you were, you said after you were dedicated to Bertie's memory too because it had been 21 years since he had won the rally. That must have been pretty
3: special for yourself and Gordon. It certainly was at the time. Um, obviously, we've been trying for quite a few years to to, to get that one over, you to get a a tarmac win over the line. We'd mm-hmm. probably the best part of a dozen second overalls, but in, in a way, it made it all the sweeter when when we won Galway back mm-hmm. this time last year and I almost so. At uh you know it was quite a quite a bit of emotion for me and. You know, for, for Gordon and the whole family, and you know, mm. really the people that have supported me over the years. And um, you know, there's a lot of people dropping me messages after the event, and you know, people people phoning me that I would never really have spoken on the phone before sort of just yeah. people got my number off somebody and, and rang me, you know, uh-huh. sort of pe- people from Uncle Bertie's era. And uh, you know, there's Hugh O'Brien rang me, and, and John Lyons. and Mm-hmm. Just to congratulate me, and uh, it was it was nice nice for the guys to take the time out to do that. Ah, it was a lovely thing to do, wasn't it? You know, it a, and like at the finish up, uh, at
1: the finish line, your mum and dad was there, and Austin McGill too. You know that was very poignant for Austin and his wife
3: Bertie to be there as well, wasn't it? It was. You know, Austin still you know uh, follows the the Tarmac Championship a lot, and you always see him on on the events there, and at. Mm-hmm. You know, we came up, and I think he might even give me a hug. To be honest, I can't just quite remember, but <laughs> he, uh we just said well done. And
1: yeah,
3: it's it's funny that there's a photograph of I think of Gordon and I up on the 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 roof of the car, and you can see Austin standing in the background, sort of looking up at us. So I mm-hmm. funny, I seen that the other day there. I thought it was a a nice photograph, but yes, you know, obviously Austin had a lot of big battles with Uncle Bertie over the years, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure he can tell plenty of stories, but it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was it was a nice Sunday evening now. And uh, go Galway last February. That's for sure. That's for sure. I am like, saying Bertie, and I know Austin said to me like from an interview,
1: like his toughest competitor throughout so, like, the years was Bertie, and I'm sure, like I'm sure the feeling was reciprocal too. You know, like they had some mighty
3: battles over the years. Yeah, yeah, okay, they certainly did. They, they, I'm mm-hmm. sure they didn't give each other um, much grace now on the no. stages, but <laughs> you know. I think Austin always made it pretty clear that, uh, you know, whenever they were at the bar after the event or, you know, socializing, that, you know, they uh, they just got on like sort of best friends, nearly. That, mm-hmm. you know, but that's what it was all about. The, I think, the great camaraderie. You know, all the drivers. You know, had back then, and mm-hmm. and for me, we, you know, even all the drivers of my generation, I feel we have good camaraderie.
1: Mm-hmm. You
3: know. But obviously, when the helmet goes on, it's a, it's a yes, different story. Every second
1: counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, just to, to wrap things up a little bit now, like, like I've asked everybody this so far, like, your, your standout memory of your Uncle Bertie and then Uncle Bertie the rally driver?
3: I think really, from a personal point of view, it would just be you know, what sort of family get-togethers. He was always... uh was probably, probably fun to be around, really. Um you know, just he was pretty cool, cool customer and uh he can that's, that's really it from a from a personal point of view. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we always knew that he yeah, sort of had a presence yeah. about him. We even had just family events, you know. Mm-hmm. And what uh, he was he was down to earth and and that was that really. Mm-hmm. Um I suppose from a from a motorsport point of view. It's just really you know, driving them practices and and uh, just probably the memories of the service areas, you know, when they of Donegal and Milford Mart or maybe you had a you had know, a town centre service area somewhere, you know, just sort of vague memories in the Yes somewhere in your head, you know, but um, mm-hmm. that's uh And the
1: big crowds of obviously surround them the even then, you know,
3: so yeah, that's it. It you'll recall I know it touched on it earlier on, but the finish ramp was may have been in banger off the circuit of Ireland and mean mm-hmm. ninety eight or ninety nine, you know, just uh, the, the the buzz that there would have been and yes. you know, pulling up in the silver car and the, the crackles and the bangs and mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Uncle Birdie and Rory up on the bonnet spraying the champagne. So Yeah,
1: it's pretty special. And like your uh, from
3: memory like your
1: granny and Grundin' was there and all too, wasn't it? You? so like it was a real family occasion.
3: It certainly was, um, you know, Grand official and, and Granny obviously were very proud of, you know, um, Uncle Bertie and Mark's achievements. And mm-hmm. um, they, uh, as you say, they were, they were the first ones up to congratulate them on, on the ramp. And they, you know, their memories live on. And it was, it was nice to see the clips of that now and again and, mm-hmm. and little photographs and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause there's, there's out of, in my and Granda's house, there's um, this photograph on the wall there of, of Uncle Bertie. It's just a photograph of him on the phone and there's a little quote underneath it where he was calling back to Ballamallard to tell Granda Fisher he'd won the Circuit of Ireland for the first time. Right. So it still hangs in the wall out there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. It's just way things like that that you remind you every now and again when you see them.
1: Uh huh. Pretty
3: special. Oh, that's I think that's as nice movie We will just wrap it up with that. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kevin. Cheers.
4: Good man. And Bertie Fisher,
0: navigated by Rory Kennedy, goes into the history books to become the greatest all-time Tarmac Championship rally man with 18 wins to his credit since the Ulster Rally in 1981. Bertie, absolutely fabulous, you've broken all the records. 18 wins, nobody's ever done that on tarmac before here in Ireland.
4: Yeah, Plummers, obviously, we've had a superb weekend, you know, the um, rally's been really good, it's been very tough, it's been, um, you know, starting out on Friday. I don't think I was really that confident, but, um, you know, we got off to a very good start, and uh, I think we got a bit of a lead on the boys whenever they uh, they weren't really waiting for it, you know, and uh, obviously it's worked out very well, and... um, the car has been absolutely brilliant. Just routine servicing all the way through. So, um, you know, 18 wins. It's, uh, and to do it with this event, it's, it's probably makes it even the better, you know.
1: Finally, we speak to Rory Kennedy. Rory started sitting with Bertie full-time in 1990 and he sat with him right through to the year 2000. And this time, Bertie won 18 Tarmac out championship rallies, four titles. It's quite astounding, it is a lovely story. I'm sure you will enjoy it.
5: I started off by asking Rory how you first got to know Bertie. Well, I, I met Bertie. Um, first time I met Bertie, of course, I knew off Bertie long before I met him. Um, we used to go to Sydney Meeks workshop in Dungannon with uh, James McDade and Vincent Bonner and so on. And of course, Bertie's cars were always there, and Bertie's cars Bertie's cars were run by Sydney. And, well, in fact, all the top cars you won the car was capable of one, you had to go to Sydney Meek back then. Mm-hmm. So, Bertie was always there and on the rallies, we met him and always a bit of crack women. He's ultra competitive and he always had a great demeanor about him. You know, he always was an example of how to do the thing and you know how to do the job correctly. Like, mm-hmm. and then once, then once, um, he wanted to do a test in Donegal and he asked me, could I help out, you know, in putting it together? which I did do, and I did that quite a bit back in them days. But anyway, he came to Donegal in the, the Manta to do a test, and um, I got to sit with him. Oh, actually, it wasn't the Manta, I beg your pardon, it was this. The three-door Sierra. Okay. So, whatever, 88 was it, maybe? Uh-huh. Or yeah. Say mm-hmm. that so, I got to sit at home. I'm during the test for quite a bit. and um, Okay, great great demeanour and great way of going about things and, and mm-hmm. doing things properly. And, uh, you know, it was somebody who you'd sort of... Um, look up to and I was a, obviously a young co-driver and trying to make my way as well so it was great to be able to mix with that with that company and these sort of people you know because the end of the day that helps you and raise your game as well and you go along with it like mm-hmm.
1: so then I um you partnered with them in 89 for Donegal and the Manx National Rally Austin was able to was unable to yeah. do these two rallies so, so the, yeah a dream start for you
5: Oh, it's been start, my goodness. I you know what you know. previously we did the rally in 85, whatever, in Cabin, uh-huh, just by yeah. pure chance and uh-huh. how it all came about it was incredible. And really that set the seed because those are a few more wee things like the test I spoke of. Uh-huh. And then when Austin became unavailable for Donegal in '89, um of course I was available, absolutely. I was rallying with Vince at that time, Vince mm-hmm. Warner, who's a very good driver in his own right as well. a brilliant driver in his own right. But whenever the opportunity came for birdie it was for donegal initially but decided last minute we're going to go and do the manx national rally mm-hmm. i had done the manx a few times richard hall me had done it and i'd done it in a Peugeot, we had done it in a, in a mazda as well so i'd done the rally i was quite familiar with it and also that was good that was very good to go and uh, did the manx rally uh, manx national first time out m3 won the rally incredible to do again uh, so we had one in Cavan back whenever a few years before that, uh-huh. and we'd won again, so again, hundred percent record. <laughs> so it was off to a good start really. So brilliant experience and so on. And then that led on to Donegal in the very next month. Mm-hmm. So big effort for that again. And we raced David Llewellyn, I think. Oh sorry, yeah. mm-hmm. nineteen ninety was it? Or 89? eighty-nine? Eighty nine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eighty-nine. Yeah, we raced David Llewellyn all the way, uh, very close to him for a good bit, and then uh, once I think I got a bit damper and a bit um, mm-hmm. trickier, uh, the, to, the Toyota GT4, he was driving the works car at that time, uh, sort of, um, well, as, a, as it got wetter and more difficult, he extended his lead and we could do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So we ended up second. So it was quite a good result, all in all, you know. So that was the way it was. And that was our first proper outing and first proper rally together, you know. Mm-hmm. Three days of Donegal, test anybody, I can tell you. Yeah. And
1: like, how was that for you, Like your home rally? Was one of the icons of Irish Alley, and even then, you know, so.
5: yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to put that in the perspective, Kevin. How I came about, like, if you'd almost say you'd almost be in the second division yourself, you know, and I don't mean that being mm-hmm. disrespectful to any of the drivers that i been with previous to that, yes, but it was like getting the nod for the first team, you know, to come on and get to get on board with the party mm-hmm. and the tough team and Sydney and so on, and you know. Uh, my attitude when I got there was, uh, it's like everything else. You have to be careful what you wish for. Okay. But uh, you know, when finally you got the opportunity, then of course, oh, I got this. What do we do now? <laughs> so you had to perform. Like yes. So I remember distinctly when I got the nod. I remember having a good chat with myself about this, and I really got my head down, concentrated a thousand percent on my own job and what it was that I had to do, irrespective mm-hmm. of anything that went on around me. Yes. So I go to the rallies and do the schedules, help with the you know, with uh, work at Sydney and so on in terms of uh, the service schedule when we traveled, all that type of thing. But mm-hmm. the co-driver's real job is when uh, on a three, two, one, go. Uh-huh. That's really when you come in. And that part of the job, I put a million percent into and mm-hmm. did my very best. And obviously, we had to adapt, first of all, you know. Bertie had been used to Austin. He had been Austin phaser I've been Bertie's co-driver for a long number of years. And Austin was an incredible co-driver. You know, incredible experience and brought mm-hmm. so much to the team. And then suddenly... I replaced Austin and I was a rookie co-driver. Yes. So like I say, my attitude and my approach was to work as hard as I could on my own side. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was more determined than ever to prove myself. And obviously it takes a wee while to jail with your driver. It doesn't matter who your driver is, mm-hmm. it takes a wee while to jail. But we did that very quickly and we very quickly got into the groove. Mm-hmm. And I suppose really, uh, the results speak for themselves and uh, we went on from strength to strength. Throughout. Yeah, I you think never right years together.
1: No, like whenever never lost and retired at the end of '89. Like, was it an automatic shoe in, or was there like a, a selection process then before you got confirmed?
5: Well, I don't remember this a selection process. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. I remember it was. Um, I just got married. anyway that year '89, and um, Paul always says to me once um, I got married, or all the luck chains <laughs> starting <laughs> at all these proper runs and all." So she takes full credit for that. <laughs> But it was very, it was, um, a, a, there was no selection process. Already rang up, how we fix? Yeah. we're going to do this. We'd previously done the rally, so all that was already done, you know. Yes. So it was a matter of jumping in there and hitting the ground running. And our first rally in 1990, it seems an eternity to be talking about 1990. Mm-hmm. Our first proper rally was 1990. Again, on the M3 was the Galway rally, okay. which we led. But that was Austin McHale's first year in the Extra Division BMW. mm mm-hmm we had the advantage of having had the car for a year previous to that mm-hmm. and austin was his first event was galway and of course we led right away or we got into the lead right away doing very well again i always say about galway typical galway rally winter rally every condition been thrown at you uh it's a fantastic challenge i love the galway rally one of my favorites mm-hmm. and we get on the lead and we're going really well but there's torrential rain and we ended up sliding off the road into a field somewhere and we dropped 30 seconds getting back out or something and austin got on the lead but we never could get enough back then and, and then the bat or the alternator gave up and we had to get a jump i had to get a battery and then a the battery from a farmer and also a set of jump leads okay so we could use the battery and the jump leads to fire the car up <laughs> to drive out of the stage yes so we mm-hmm. got that but we had lost a bag of time and uh, we're never going to get that back from yeah. Austin McHale, no way yes. so we uh, ended up second on the rally and that was our first that was the first full-time rally, if you like, when it was yes. on full-time like.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. And you know, you often speak about, you know, the professional approach that Bertie brought to life in rallying and rally and never. Can you explain that to us and how you know how he conducted himself?
5: Well, <clears throat> in terms of um, like the rallies for us didn't just begin on the Friday or on the Saturday morning. Uh-huh. The rallies for us began three weeks or a month beforehand, the preparation and what had to be done and what the route was, what stage were going to be used, and you know, all of that was done in those and that and you know when you when you're that far back Kevin from the event, there's so much you can do and so much preparation. And all of that's done and if you like, nothing was left to chance. Like everything was mm-hmm. considered and weighed up and thought about and we'll do this and we'll do that. Even the Recce when we go to do the Recce for example for the Circuit of Ireland way back in them days, you know, it was once you signed on for the Recce, you could start and finish wherever you wanted within the route. Okay. So it was so important to pick it, figure out what was the most efficient way you could do that how you could get the most you know out of your time when you were wrecking okay and how you planned all that out so like lots of stuff like that. people say to us many times you get a that stage we said oh we did that three freaking hell we only managed to get that done twice because we thought we were running out of time but we had mm-hmm. looked at and planned it and worked it out mm-hmm. and that sort of attention to detail gave them a second and none and of course i was like a Like a sponge, I was absorbing all this and Uh loved all of this, and um, as I said, worked really hard at it. But that was in in rally terms, that's the way it was done. And Mm -hmm. really, if you look at Bertie as a businessman, he was a revered businessman in Fermanagh or throughout Northern Ireland, Ireland, the UK, actually. And Fisher Engineering as a company uh, had grown into there were such they were held in such high prestige that everybody wanted them. Them big jobs like Castle Court, mm-hmm. the Odyssey, I think the waterfront in Belfast, yeah. even the courtyard shopping center here in Natterkenny, were all done by Fisher Engineering. And there were, there were them jobs, fishers were getting them jobs regardless because yes. they were the best in the business. Mm-hmm. And the reason they were the best in the business is because they were being led by the best businessman that you get to do it like. Mm-hmm. And lots of, uh, lots of developers and, and builders knew that. And they always wanted Fisher's involved, and I think that's the same to this very day.
1: Yeah, The guy—they set the standard. That everybody else tried to follow, basically, doesn't it? You know, was... that
5: standard. And mm-hmm. they, no matter where you go, all them buildings are temples to fish or temples, the Fisher engineer like, and mm-hmm. you know, from the smallest farm shed at the very beginning mm-hmm. to the Odyssey in Belfast, or yeah. I think Intel in Dublin as well, you know, yeah. and had the capacity to do that. And no mountain was too high. Like they would look it yeah. and say, "Okay, let's do this." Like. Yeah.
1: We, we can do
5: it, yeah. <laughs> um, that's his attitude. Yeah.
1: And like you know, not just in the rally car, but outside that you said a very strong relationship as well, hadn't you? So.
5: Well, had a very strong relationship. And I think you need to have, Ken, when you spend so much time with somebody, um you need a you, you need that, that you can work together, do the job and um have the same aim and the same target and work towards that. But also away from that with plenty of social occasions. In fact, it's all so memorable. Social occasions, because uh, as I'm sure all Bertie's friends know, like uh, and that I hope they're listening to this pro- or listening to this podcast, even Austin McHale, James Colen, Kier Mac, suddenly, um, all of people that knew him really well. Bertie was a great man for singing a song and great man for a bit of old jiving and a bit of crack like that. Like mm-hmm. and so many so wedding or function we were at, he would end up up singing a song. <laughs> <laughs> all right. he'd be the last man to leave could be dancing half the night away, and. Uh, it oh, was a, he was a star of that as well. Like. He is. And uh, I just there was always a request for him at some time to come and sing a song. <laughs> <laughs>
1: didn't have to trust his arm, did I take it?
5: <laughs> That's right. I yeah. He's a great family man, you know, and him like even for all the people he employed. Like I know I know at the last count fishers had 200 people employed in Fermanagh, you uh-huh. know, the, you know, and I think each and every one of them people could approach Bertie. Call him Bertie. Uh, not Mister Fisher and yeah. Bertie would know nearly. I would say Bertie knew every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm Nobody. chatting about the park group drive drivers, delivery mm-hmm. drivers, the boys of mm-hmm. the steel directors, the whole lot. He knew them all personally, and they all knew him personally. And mm-hmm. I think in any business, you know, he had a great rapport with his staff, and uh, you know, that's what hit, that's what led to success. because mm-hmm. they were prepared
1: to go the extra mile to get the job done as well as, as well as he was. So yeah. That ethos yeah. run right from the top right down through, didn't it? That. Was- yes. Yeah.
5: And, of course, they were awarded well, you know, and they were, everybody was, you know, paid well. And at the end of the year, when it would come to the Christmas party, like, it was full treatment, like, full, mm-hmm. everything was laid on and has been for many as a year. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a special, a special night.
1: Yeah. And, like, Bertie, like, yes, he liked competing in rallies, but he also was, like, somewhat of an ambassador for Irish rallying, wasn't he? Like, you know, we think of, like, 86 after his break dramas in Galway the way he came back and you know was one of the boys at the forefront of the safety done the safety officer in Donegal that year and was always striving to make things better in Irish rallying, wasn't he?
5: Yeah, you could say that I cause you know that when he came back in 86, don't forget the reason he, he, the reason he retired previous to that or prior to that was because of that incident that's well documented in Galway mm-hmm. where he lost the breaks and down an escape road and if anybody or in normal circumstances that escape road would have been you know would have been five you know people spectators stand there watching it was a miracle there was nobody there and it was a miracle he avoided everybody Mm -hmm. and managed to bring the car to stop without any incident like absolute miracle but anyway um he retired from rallying because of that and he did that safety officer for donegal that year i think matt doherty was the clerk of the I think it was that one of the first events back? Yeah, that's right, crisis. after the whole insurance crisis, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason, that it had to be squeaky clean. So Matt, he recruited Bertie, or went to Bertie and said, look, we need somebody to do this. So Bertie and Austin Fraser gave up their time to come along and do safety officers and set the standard for the stages and so on. Mm-hmm. Did that, and um, the rally ran perfect. And, yeah. uh uh, two things happened there. Number one, it, 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 it triggered the rallies again in Ireland. They could be run, and run in a safe manner. The standard was set. Mm-hmm. More importantly, personally speaking, for me, anyway, I had rekindled birdie as well to come back and do a mm-hmm. few rallies. Yes. So he came, so he came back in '87. He won the goal. That's right.
1: Yeah. Okay. I remember
5: right? Yeah. And of course, then he really got the got the bug for it again. Mm-hmm. And he started to compete in '88, and I got involved then. Mm-hmm. So maybe without that. Yeah. If that hadn't happened, doing that safety officer, might never came back.
1: No, you know. but even, you know, you like, think of RPM, like, all the different events, and, you know, if he was ever interviewed, you listened, because, you know, whatever he said mattered, you know, it wasn't just uh, a flippant remark or whatever, it was always thought out, it was to the point, you know, if he mentioned there was an issue with something, it was because there was an issue, wasn't it, you know, he was. it, yeah. it was very strong on safety and making sure yes. everything was done properly.
5: It was it was very good in, in, in assess something assessing a situation, you know, mm-hmm. and giving an opinion, like and you know, as you rightly say, people went, Oh, very good, that's never thought of that, like mm-hmm. you know. And even I remember going to press conferences for different rallies and all the press would be gathered and the bay, you know, for these major rallies or we on circuit or Donegal or wherever we were. And I'd be there with Birdie, maybe getting organized and he would look around and say, Okay, Bertie, if you expect you could win this rally and he said, Of course I expect I could win it. But he said We've got Austin McHale, we've got David Lowell, you've got Colin McRae, you've got Russell Brooks, you've got James Collins, you've got David, and so on. And he could assess each and every one of their performance and give a very honest, uh, non bullshit answer. Like mm-hmm. and you know, because of that, people like to like to engage with them and and ask for his opinion on various things. Should mm-hmm. be a rally in business or, or otherwise like Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And like you know, you have often said the that, that the years that you spent with Earth led to you allowing you to travel the world. You know, been a cool driver I Yeah, think well, that was the initial, you know, yeah. step up that you needed.
5: Absolutely, Kevin. Well, don't forget now. He and he and I were together for. We rallied from well, we began in '85 and '89, uh-huh. and then full time from '90 onwards. Like, uh-huh. and only missed one rally in that whole time, and and that was because I was away on holiday, and Austin Fraser would like to come back and go on a four-wheel drive Subaru. Yes, so it all worked out very well. But anyway, we rallied together during all that time. And like when you're sitting beside someone like Bernie, I'll tell you one hey, thing, if you didn't learn or pick up something, there was something wrong with you. Like mm-hmm. so I have a lot to be grateful for, Kevin. My entire rally career is defined by the Fisher years. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, that's absolutely true. And you learn to you learn to co-drive, you learn to be well, you learned to co-drive at that level. You learn to work with the big teams, you learn to well, when you had a top driver the like that, you learned how to cope in the situation, the speed, you learned how to win. You mm-hmm. learned how to be um, modest and winning, and you know, you learned all about them sort of things. Like, mm-hmm. so whenever the, whenever the unfortunate day came when, after the accident in 2001, and then there was no rallies at all in 2001, it was almost remarkable, wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the Fisher accident was in, in January, yes. and there was virtually no rallies in Ireland for the entire year. Like, yeah. it's almost like a year of mourning, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but well, when 02 came, and Couple of opportunities came around for me to go on. That was great. I got the opportunities to go on, and I always felt I carried the Fisher name with me, you know. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I went, and I still get it. people talk about Bertie, like yeah. when, when Ali and me, in more recent times, mm-hmm. when Ali Fisher and me were alien, many people used to speak about Bertie to both of us, you know. Yes. Always refreshing. Always, I always a great time to talk to people about that, of course. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it's a brilliant time. But I learned so much, Kevin. Put me in a position for a platform. Where I was involved with all the teams, you know, all the teams in the UK, Pirelli, Shell, all these people who are sponsors and were, were influential and in, in making opportunities happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in the right, um, you know, mixing the right people. Yes. Obviously, I proved it could do the job. So mm-hmm. it gave me the opportunity to go on. And I always felt I had a good lot to offer, having coming through, if you like, the school of, uh, of, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. yes, mm-hmm.
1: and like, you know was touched on there, like you know, Bertie the family man. Like, he sat with Mark a few times as well. Like, he was destined for greater things as well, wasn't he? Like, Bertie yeah, took so much sure. pride in that as well,
5: for sure. Right? Well, there's two or three sides, of, two or three sides to Mark. First of all, he's a chip of the block with Bertie, like, mm-hmm. absolutely determined, and uh, as, as, which is very appropriate to say, steely determination. And <laughs> these yeah. wise, like, uh-huh. excuse the pun, but Mark had the same determination, the same outlook. And the same applied in business. He was equally committed, like, mm-hmm. which is great. And as I understood back in the day, obviously uh, Mike Mark was going to take over Fisher Engineering, as I understood it, and was going to continue on it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that wasn't to be, of course. But um, Mark was a great fellow. I was very, very good friends with Mark. And in fact, I sat on with him in a couple of rallies, three or four. We did Rally GB twice. Mm-hmm. Um, we did quite a lot of other rallies. Yeah. And he was oh, a deadly driver and the best at cracking. Eh? We yeah. used to have some crack on our way. Eh? But he's a great fellow, uh, great driver, great in business. And then he said, "I was doing a few rallies in them days, and he sat home with me in a rally." Okay. So So um, great old cracking, great uh-huh. fellow. Yes. Yeah. destined for, destined for, yeah. you know, for greater things. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. no And no. it's tragic, really, when you think about it. That's for sure. He never got to fulfill that potential, or Because no, it I never came to pass a... me. You know mm-hmm. he he'd was, begun to prove himself even at the, high, you yes. know, at the highest level. Him and Gordy were mm-hmm. we, we were on the Acropolis that year, Stephen Finley and me, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Mark and Gordon were there. They got the prize drive of the Persio 206. That's right, yeah. we're all mm-hmm. there together. And then we had Rally GB at the end of the year, and we're all there together. As, you know, mm-hmm. fantastic memories. And um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uncommon for Mark to come up. On a Saturday afternoon to come up with me and him and Brian Kelly going in the quads, you know, and stuff. Right. Like, yes. So. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff like that. Like it was uh, a great time. Tragically, he's not here. Yeah.
1: So, I suppose to start to wrap up, like you look back and you, see Bertie Fisher, there was the man, and there was Bertie Fisher, the rally driver. What's your abiding memories of them two?
5: Well, you know, I have millions of memories of Bertie uh, Kevin, and and some fantastic situations. And mm-hmm. like I say, even back to up on the stage singing an old song at a wedding or a, yes. an old party we're having, like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're invaluable or, you know, treasured memories that I'll never forget, like, yes. you know, but in terms of, and rally terms, right, people often ask me, you know, what was your best rally if you ever did a well, very official? You know, everybody's asked. and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody's fed up with me telling them the rally was 1990 Manx Rally, BMW M3. We didn't win the rally. We should have freaking won it. We yeah. beat ourselves, and end up, if you like, we end up second.
4: Mm-hmm. That
5: was the most unbelievable rally, and unbelievable amount of effort went into that rally. Yes. And we 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 just lost it at the last, you know, mm-hmm. at the last hurdle, and it was devastating blow to do that after so much work. In fact, I'm a long time in the go. I almost had a tear in my eye at the end of the rally. Of mm-hmm. not won it, you know, after the amount of work and effort that went into that event, like. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking for both of us because Bertie was the same. Like yes. it was such an effort and mm-hmm. it just didn't happen for whatever reason at the last minute. Like mm-hmm. so, you know, from a sporting point of view, that was the that was the Biden memory of, of committed mm-hmm. and going as hard as we could and putting everything on the line, you know, and eleven tenths uh-huh. and racing Brooks McRae, James Collin and Gwendalf as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's a there's a video of that MV. It always yeah. keeps coming up. There's <laughs> you know, Fisher and m three and Isle of Man, and yeah. every time you look at it, the hair stand up on me, and I can almost <laughs> remember every corner, like you know.
1: And you yeah. talked there earlier about you know Bertie, like you know he, he, how to won and how to do this. You know, you also learned how to lose because like the thing that the that Bertie spoke was, you know, in front of the cameras after that, like it could have threw a stroke or whatever. He didn't. He just yeah. accepted it, didn't he? You know. So. Yeah,
5: it's very magnificent, like magnificent, and you know. In fairness, he was, he was always great in giving praise to somebody who had achieved something. Mm-hmm. And when we won as well, he was always very modest. He yeah. didn't go around, you know, stepping around the place saying that, you know, we're yeah. unbeatable or really that. like that. Yeah. Because rallying's went on the day. And as you know, and if Austin McHale was sitting here today, or if Bertie Hush, Hush-, Hush was sitting here today, he would say the toughest opponent ever he had in rallying was Austin McHale. Mm-hmm. And that is true. And I'm sure if Austin's listening to this yeah. or watching this, He'll agree with that. And I would say, if the truth be known, Austin would say the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah definitely. Yeah. And um, what he said was... I can, definitely,
5: I can definitely say that on behalf of Bertie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, like Bert and Austin McHale, like it was like hammer and tongs. Yeah. And the chances are, if we, if, if we didn't win, Austin won. Yeah. If Austin didn't win, we won. Mm-hmm. You know, it was either or. <laughs> During the 90s, and it was an incredible era. And like Bert was at himself, like, and he was... Yeah. You no, know, and Austin was at himself, and it was just an incredible era. And I mm-hmm. remembered
1: so fondly. And and like I know chatting to Austin there last week, he says like no matter what happened, you know on the stages, yes, every second counted, and you know you would do anything to gain an extra second here <coughs> or there. But step out of the car, you shook hands, you went for a beer, or whatever. Like it was, right. it was left on the stages. It was there was no, you know. But yeah. you know, it was no talking behind the backs, it was all done, it was all done on the stages, wasn't it? You know,
5: so. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't uncommon. Um, mm-hmm. after the Circuit of Ireland or, or something, that made, they were all major rallies at the time, like I mean, mm-hmm. all three and four day rallies, maybe maybe longer in some cases. Like it wasn't unusual or uncommon for somebody to arrive at Bertie's office with two bottles of champagne, like the Tuesday or Wednesday after the rally uh-huh. from Austin right. You right? Know, That wasn't unusual, and that happened, and Mm -hmm. I got them as well. Now it happened on more than one occasion, like Mm -hmm. you know. So it says a lot about the man, and yeah, I've great admiration for Austin. And as a sportsman, he was dogged. He was hard to beat. And uh, in fairness to him, it was very fair. And Mm -hmm. we fought hammer nail many a time. (laughs) (laughs) Some great memories of that as well.
1: We're just wrapping up now. We'll go back to Bertie again. Like you know, just what a man. Like what he brought to Irish rallying from like the early 70s right through to his untimely death. Like he, he raised the bar and kept it up and took it higher, if it can be, in certain
5: uh, years. Well, it should be remembered too, Kevin, that Verde has been rallying since goodness knows what age. He started mm-hmm. off as a co-driver, like, Yeah. And he, he was, um, he started off a co-driver and he went up the ranks. He drove a money. he drove the Mark 1s all the Mark IIs and mm-hmm. he came right up through you know, yes. like he really served a hard apprenticeship mm-hmm. and if you look at all them old photographs you see an odd broken headlight and mm-hmm. an odd yoke rolled and yeah. you know, he really came up through the ranks like, but the one thing about him was when he got, a, when, he, when he knew how to win, he knew you had to have the best equipment like and he never compromised on that Like, mm-hmm. and if you like he single-handedly brought the best cars to Ireland from ProDrive and RED and mm-hmm. Ford and uh, uh, and Subaru, like I mean, we've had the best cars, and uh, he never compromised one scene you if you wanted to win and beat the likes of Austin McKeel, yes. you had to have the best machinery you could get. Like, mm-hmm. so he raised the bar in terms of the cars, and even the organizers around him he used to assist you know in different things, the organization of rallies mm-hmm. that helped the rallies even get better and get bigger, you know. Yes, and you know, a the car after the season, when say, for example. The BMW at the end of that season, that car went up for sale like everybody wanted it like yes, they because they knew it was the Fisher car. car, they yeah. knew it had the proper spec, and mm. you know they knew that what they paid for they would get, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that was the same for most of his cars. But where they raised the bar like, and everybody else wanted to compete had to follow, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what led to the culture in Ireland of all the good cars and Subarus and everything that mm-hmm. came in years to come because all the links were made. Really with Sydney and Bertie, Noss McHale and mm-hmm. the top drivers back in the day. But, yeah.
1: you know. aye, Bertie was the one of the forefathers of you know what Pro Drive look at you know, you look from you know ninety one right through till even the last couple of years, Subaru's were still won in rallies in Ireland. And that all goes back to like Kenny McHemistry, yes, but Bertie Fisher was the, right, the you know, the first guys to bring them cars into the country here, you mm-hmm. know.
5: Mm-hmm. Shouldn't I shouldn't forget uh, about Kenny either? Like Kenny was, um, Kenny and Bertie had some great battles as well. Don't go on circuits and all sorts like. and yeah. um, I is the Godfather of motorsport in Ireland? We always say like King yes. Kelly. <laughs> you know, the tragedy of it all, Kevin, is that they're not here anymore. Like, yeah, and you know, and I think back and everything that contributed and and uh, think of all the goodness that they brought to the rallies and and all the joy that we shared as well. You know, yeah. And I think of Mark as well, you know, running around with that hat on him and and him, the freaking smirk on him and the carry on of him. I, you mm-hmm. know, and of course, not to forget Emma, who's a lovely girl. Eh? And, and mm-hmm. such, Like a, a, the world was our, our, her oyster, like, and she had so much to offer and her charitable work and so on. And,
4: mm-hmm. you know,
5: it's it's a tragedy, really. Like it's yeah. 20 years this week. And, you know, for me, when I think back at it, you know, it's it's just, it feels no time ago since I got that phone call. Like, yes. You know, and, you know, all the people who were involved and Jerry McGiardy and all the people, you know, in Fermanagh and mm-hmm. the loss that has created and Fisher Engineering. And it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy, really. Yes. Absolutely tragedy. Mm-hmm. So, Rory, I think we'll wrap it up with that. So thank you very much for taking the time for joining us. You're welcome, Kevin. I'm always delighted to talk about the Fishers and the yeah. Tough Mac team and... All the carry on that went along with it because we had plenty of reason to celebrate too, you know. Because absolutely, um, had a great life and and uh, tragically cut short, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. when he was here, he certainly made a count.
1: Yeah, like 20 termite ones,
5: for termite championships, you know, it's yeah. it speaks volumes, doesn't it? You know, six speaks volume and, and Mark coming on his coattails, and yes, goodness knows what mm-hmm. he would have had to offer like I, what we've been <laughs> talking about today. You okay, know. you take care of it, yeah. chat to you soon. Cheers, Kevin. Thanks.
1: Thanks, mm-hmm. bye.
0: And so, for the second Easter in succession, Bertie Fisher and Rory Kennedy are heading for the champagne in Bangor, but this time they are certain of victory. Certain, did I say? You're never certain about anything in rallying until you roll under the victory arch. But this time it's okay. Three Circuit of Ireland victories, 20 tarmac wins. The statistics are accelerating again for the man, And he and Rory now have an eight-point lead in the Toshiba series. Time for celebration. No! <laughs> Bertie Fisher and Andrew Nesbitt have made the 1999 event a classic, as we have already said. Never has so much been provided for so many by so few.
4: It's been a good event, and it's been a tough event, and it hasn't been easy to win, and uh, fair credit to Andrew Nesbitt. He really gave us a very, very hard fight. At one time, I thought maybe we weren't going to come out on the right side of it, but uh, we, we went out this morning, and we got a very, very good time on the opening stage. Andrew had a problem, and that really sort of decided the day, I think, you know.
1: That was Dave Campion, Alistair Fisher, Rory Kennedy, and myself, Kevin Dunning, Totem Rallying. I just want to pay tribute to everyone that helped me over the last couple of months. That has been a real journey of discovery for me, and the stories I've heard have been fascinating. And I've just been overjoyed that every contributor to allow me to bring these stories to you. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed recording them. So if you can like and share the podcast on all social media platforms, and if you're listening to an Apple podcast, if you could rate the post podcast, it would be gratefully appreciated.
4: Until the next day. Take care. See you soon. Bye.